0: All right, welcome back to Forgotten Lakers. We're here tonight with former Los Angeles Laker Tony Smith. Tony, how are you doing today? I
1: am doing good, man. How are
0: you? I'm doing all right. Uh, Sorry, you can probably hear my one-year-old son uh, maybe screaming a little bit in the background. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, my wife's with him right now, so hopefully he'll cooperate with us. No problem. Uh, Add a little flavor to the podcast. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so one of the first questions I like to ask, uh, whenever I get a chance to talk to a former Laker, former professional basketball player, how did you get started with basketball? What made you get into the game and when did you realize that you had a future in it? Uh, well, man, I guess I
1: say, I don't know if I realized I had a future in it until, you know, like late in college, my senior year when I was, you know, doing well. And, you know, then they started talking about, okay, you're probably going to get drafted. so you know, you might want to find an agent and, you know, all that stuff. But, you know, I started pretty late, started around 12 or 13 years old. So I was kind of a late bloomer in that sense, especially considering today, you know, kids are starting at eight, nine years old. <laughs> so yeah. I was just, I was just a late bloomer, just kind of got started on the playground. I used to play football at recess all the time, never really played basketball, like I said, till much later on. And I think I got started in that because I got kind of tall, so
0: guys
1: mm-hmm. yeah, all starting, started, started asking me to play basketball, so, you know, that, that's how it kind of started.
0: That was in, uh, forgive me if I'm mispronouncing this, Wauwatosa, Wisconsin? No, actually, I grew up in Milwaukee, Okay.
1: I, I did go to Wau- Wau- Wauwatosa, just a, a suburb right outside of Milwaukee.
0: Oh, so that's gotcha, gotcha. So what led to your decision to stay close to home and attend Marquette?
1: Uh, You know, coming out of high school,
0: you know, it was just my mom,
1: and, you know, she was at all the games, so I kind of wanted to stick close to home immediately in my recruiting, Well, early in my recruiting process, I should say, not immediately, because I I, I got letters from a lot of different schools, but um, pretty early on in that process, I kind of decided to stay in state, uh, to kind of stay close so she could, you know, make the games, and Marquette was actually the closest. She lives about ten minutes from the campus, so uh, that was an easy, easy way for her to get to, to see all the games, at least the home games. So uh, that that was a big factor. But you know, I, I like the coaching staff that was there as well. You know, I, I actually, when I went to Wisconsin and UW Green Bay were the other two schools that I actually looked at. You know, I think all the coaches are pretty good. Uh, you know, Dick Bennett was up at uh, Green Bay back then. Uh, Steve Yoder was in Wisconsin and you know there was Majerus and, uh, uh, and those guys uh, at Marquette who actually won up leaving mm-hmm. <laughs> after I signed to come play there, so uh, but still, like I say, one of the big factors was staying close so my mom could uh, attend some of the, most of the games.
0: So I follow professional basketball very closely, not too much college. Um, did you all have any long tournament runs during your stay at Marquette?
1: Man, we had no tournament run, so
0: oh, okay, very,
1: very, very painful. Uh, you now you just brought up a painful memory. Thanks a lot.
0: Oh yeah,
1: yeah. We yeah. had two NIT appearances, but no NCAA action.
0: So you end up getting drafted to the Lakers, nineteen ninety NBA draft, second round pick. So what was that like for you when you go from you know a smaller school who wasn't maybe on everyone's radar, like you said, just NIT appearances? All of a sudden, you're in Hollywood with teammates like Magic Johnson and James James Worthy.
1: Uh, it was a bit of an adjustment. Uh, that's that's definitely the case, but it wasn't too much where I was really overwhelmed. I was lucky I had a lot of family out in the the L.A. area, who I had uh, really just met the year before uh, during a family reunion out there. So it was kind of weird that you know the year before I get drafted out there, I was out there for a family reunion. I met my entire family out there, cousins, aunts, you know, everybody. So. When I got there, I had a lot of people that I could lean on and, you know, keep me uh, keep me grounded, keep me on track out there. So it was it was a good thing. I didn't go out there and and I'm just you know on my own.
0: So when you talk about like you know getting out there, being on your own, what do you think's changed for you know like early '90s going to you know early when you're for a first year NBA player to guys like today? I know you work closely with the Bucks and a lot of broadcasting and analyst stuff. So like, what do you see as the bigger biggest difference from entering the NBA? In 1990 to entering the NBA in 2017.
1: I'll tell you what I'm gonna say. It's the, it's the money these guys are making. It's oh, yeah. The biggest difference. Man, I mean, it's, <laughs> there's a lot of money right now in the league, and these guys coming in are making tons of it. But I think you have a lot, um, <clears throat> a lot more guys who are younger coming into the league as well. hmm So you know, you're getting these young guys that are coming in 19, 20. Uh, you know, if you look at you look at the rosters now. You got guys who are 22 or 23. They've been in the league three years already. So mm-hmm. just a, a total different. Back when I came out, I mean, I think I came in the league at 22. That's uh, my rookie year. That's what, and that was the norm. You know. Yeah. But now, now guys are in this league. There's a ton of money. But I mean, by the time you're 23, 24, you're on your second contract, and you know, you're getting eight eight, $9 million, even if you were just a mediocre role player right now. So it's, 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 a very different atmosphere. And then with that kind of money is, uh, you know, obviously it's, that's, that's a bigger life changing type money than is, you know, what we were making. I think back then when, when I came in, I think, uh, oh, I think 123 was the minimum back then or something like that.
0: Wow. <laughs> yeah. You know, your rookie season, you guys get to go to the NBA finals in 1991. End up facing Michael Jordan, the Chicago Bulls. Like, what was the team? Yeah, what was the team mindset going into that series?
1: Yeah, I'll tell you what. We were confident all year long, and we were confident going into the series. It was no doubt that you know Mike and this, his crew were very tough, and it wasn't going to be an easy series. But uh, I mean, you know, looking back on that series, uh, I thought we had all the confidence in the world, and you know, I still tell people to this day. You know, we go into Chicago, we win the first game. Yeah, and I think I think you know, I think we expected to win. I don't think it was something where we were shocked by you know the fact that we won, and you know now all of a sudden injuries caught up with us. I don't think people really understand you know how losing uh, Worthy and Byron Scott can affect. Yeah. I mean look at look at some of the teams today. You know, imagine Golden State losing. Uh, you know, they're second and third guys, you know, losing Draymond. Look what happened to him when they lost Draymond in the other series. You know, they wound up yep. losing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he got kicked out of one game and then suspended the next. Yeah. That was just one guy. I mean, we uh, lost two of our guys. Yeah. So, you know, it was just tough to tough to compete that way. But like I said, we won the first game, and we were confident all through the series. I mean, we had some tough – we had a tough road there. It wasn't easy. You know, Portland was, was very, very tough to get by. That was a, that was a tough series. and. You know, like I say, we handled that. But with Magic, the leader that he was, um, he, he wasn't going to allow anybody to have any doubts about the team.
0: Yeah, I know. I think game three went into overtime, and then they all lost at home. And game five was really close, and I remember John Paxson caught fire. Uh, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that was probably a much closer series than, closer series than people remember. And in your stint in L.A., you guys, I think you had four coaches in five years. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah, like uh, Mike Dunleavy, Randy Fund, uh, Magic. Yeah, Magic briefly. (laughs) Uh, Magic for about I think it was like ten, twelve games or something like that. Yeah. So did that? I mean, do you think that you know coaching carousel, like contributed to the fact that during the rest of your stint there, y'all may have not necessarily been a contender like you were in your rookie year?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know. The league goes in cycles. I mean, obviously, you're going to have players. You know, that team, by the time I got there, they had been together a lot. They had been through a lot of finals. They had been through a lot of playoffs. The guys were, were getting older. Um, you know, obviously, Magic was at the end of his career there. Worthy was close to the end. Uh, Byron had a little more time. But, you know, most of the guys, you know, they only had like three or four years after that left. So, mm-hmm. You know, they were getting up there in age. It was a team that had been together and had been through a lot of wars and, and, and did a lot of damage, you know, uh, to the league over the years. I mean, uh, you know, they won a lot of championships going up. So they were just – it was just that, that cycle. They just came in on the end of the cycle. And then obviously with Magic having to uh, retire because of his medical situation. Yeah. And, you know, just stuff like that. I mean, obviously you you lose your your big gun. I mean g there's going to be some some fallout from that and you know the fallout was you know coaches get fired um, mm-hmm. other players other players opt to leave I think Byron left uh went to Indiana uh, so I mean just just a lot of stuff you know happens but it's it's normal stuff that happens in the league and it just happened to happen when when you know when I came in
0: Sure yeah so like I mentioned um I did an episode with Chucky Brown and when we were talking about the whole thing with Magic having to retire, I guess that was that was the year Chucky was there. That would have been your second year.
1: Um, yeah, my second year. Yeah,
0: yeah so – and Chucky was saying, like, he didn't really, like, sense a cloud over the team when he got there that, you know, everyone just kind of went around, you know, went to, you know, considered it, like, business as usual and just kept moving forward. But do you think – I mean – how would you categorize the effect that Magic's sudden departure had on that '91-'92 Lakers squad?
1: You yeah, know, I think you tried to carry on business as usual, but obviously, you know, with with HIV and AIDS back then, there was it was a very you know little knowledge about it. So I think the big thing was guys were wondering what the heck is going on and how how this all came about. I think that was on everybody's mind. Obviously, when you're on the court you're not out there thinking about that, you know, you're mm-hmm. playing your game. But I think the impact on the court was we lost a Hall of Fame player. I mean, in Magic Johnson, that's, the, <laughs> and, a, and yeah. a lot of leadership. But other than that, you know, because what happens is you get, you know, you get family, friends, they're all asking about it like you have, you know, like you live with the match or something. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, I don't know what the guy did in his personal life, man. Come on, I, I played ball with him We were. You know, you may hang out a little bit on the road, but I mean, I I don't know what the guy's doing. But, you know, those are the questions you get from from friends, friends and family. They want to know what's going on and and what the heck happened. And we didn't know either. And we didn't know anything about uh, the disease at that time either. I mean, we had meetings with doctors weekly updating Mm on on all the new information that they're learning.
0: Oh, wow. Wow. So was he still uh, did he. Like hang around the team much that year from when he initially retired, or did y'all have much interaction with him?
1: You know, I don't remember how much he hung around. Obviously, when he came back to training camp the following year.
0: Yeah, but
1: um, you know, as far as when it first went down, I I don't think he was around much. I think he just got away to kind of figure out for himself what was going on. And again, I think everybody, doctors included, were learning on the fly of, mm-hmm. uh, of what was going on. So yeah, we we didn't see him much, and then. You know, we figured, um, you know, next year at, at training camp, and then you know, he was he was back at training camp.
0: Mm-hmm. Were there any Were there any players you played with that you think, you know, given a different circumstance, like if they had a different coach, different system they got to play in, or maybe just like received more minutes, that they would have had a much different career? Maybe would have been not necessarily a superstar, but an all star, could have had a much you know significantly better career.
1: Uh oh, man, I'm trying to think of players who uh I mean yeah, I know I know the concept you're talking about. But, yeah. you know, they're playing they're playing behind somebody else. Mm-hmm. I, I kinda feel like most of the guys that I played with kinda at least had a little opportunity to get out front. Like because, yeah, I mean when I was with the Lakers, the young guys came in, Van Exel. he got a lot of yeah. P T right away. Feeler mm-hmm. got a lot of PT right away, Doug Christie came oh, in right yeah. away. Even though we had, you know, Sedell three, you know, mm-hmm. running running the point most of the time, I think those guys still got significant time because that's when, you know, Byron left. So the, a lot of minutes were open at the two spot. Those guys kind of filled in. You know, I don't think uh, they were trying to bank on Terry Teagle, you know, yeah. most of the two there. So they, they went with some of the younger guys. But, you know, that was that. And, you know, Sabalos, mm-hmm. I think he had to sit a little bit behind Worthy, but I mean, you know, you're talking about a Hall of Fame guy at the three, so but said, you know, said was able to, to get out front uh eventually and get out mm-hmm. there and, and shine a little bit. And you know, I'm just trying to think of some other some other uh spots where guys were you know, kinda in the background and then didn't get a chance to develop. But I, I, I don't I don't think I I saw too much of that on the teams I were on.
0: Really? Okay. I know your stint in Milwaukee was short, but uh was that something of like, were you a Bucks fan growing up in the Milwaukee area? Was that like a dream come true being able yeah. to work?
1: Yeah. No, I was a Bucks fan big time. I used to go to the games as you know, as much as I could. If we'd get some $5 tickets that we could find, we'd, we'd go to the game. But, uh, you know, you barely see from where we had to sit. Yeah. <laughs> we had been in the, the nosebleeds, But I mean, still, yeah, we were at the games. And obviously, uh, you know, a basketball fan and there being the home team, I was, you know, watching those guys, uh, the Democries, uh, Marcus Johnson, Brian Winters, the, you know, all those guys. Um, so during my playing days, I uh, was it a dream come true. I was kind of at the end of my career yeah, winding down. And I had actually, when I signed with the Bucks, I just came from playing uh, in Spain.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think Terrell Brandon went down. So uh, they, obviously the scouts, they knew I was home or they knew the season was over in Spain, knew I was home. Uh, they contacted my agent, obviously, and uh, I mean I'm, I'm right here. It's a no-brainer. So yeah, I'll come down and uh, uh, and fill in as much as possible. But yeah, it was it wasn't here very long, but you no, know, it was it was still good to to be home and have a Bucks uniform on and, and play for the home team. There's no question that uh, that was a fun time.
0: So one last question. I'll end the podcast with: uh, Do you still play pickup at all, or have you hung up your sneakers for good?
1: oh man pickup is so painful i gotta gotta (laughs) tell you man the 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 years of wear and tear have really taken its toll i I still i'll try to get out there and and do a little bit but it's like i say i think sometimes you you play a little bit and you don't feel it just like just like doing any kind of exercise you know if i get on the the treadmill or if i get on Uh the bike or, or the elliptical not feeling it. Once I get loose and the joints are lubed up, but afterwards, Oh
0: yeah. I really next regret like, man.
1: Yeah. yeah. Should I have worked out? Or sometimes you're like, nah, I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the same thing with pick up, man. It's like, if I get out there, first of all, I'm not going very hard. I uh, can't do it. I uh-huh. um, can't remember the last time I even touched the net. I play way below the rim now. So,
0: oh, yeah. so I guess you're not get- <laughs> yeah. you're getting out there before bucks b- b- broadcasting, guarding Giannis.
1: Yeah, no, you won't you won't see me on oh. that on that three on three league either.
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh I was gonna ask you that too. Is there any chance of seeing you in the
1: league? <laughs> yeah, no chance whatsoever. I'm man, I turned fifty in June, so uh, uh, I don't I don't play I don't even play at night anymore. I only play during the day.
0: <laughs> oh yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Cool. So I, gotta, I tell my buddies I only play during the day and, I, and if I'm and I don't play for money, so
0: <laughs> well, you probably had that good old man game. You know, I always had a even as a kid, like an old man game for whatever reason.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, the old man. The only thing, old man game is, is just your basketball IQ. You're just smarter than the, the young dummies. Yeah, yeah. So they're out there <laughs> running around with their head cut off. You're conserving energy and being efficient. <laughs> and that's, yeah. that's all it is.
0: <laughs> we were uh we'd play in high school a lot and we'd this older guy is probably in his sixties would play with us sometimes. And we called him sensei. Cause he would always just fake us out and get wide open. It was just crazy. Like everything. <laughs> he could do. Just, his nickname was sensei. Oh yeah. oh yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's easy, man. Those young guys, they have no idea what's going on.
0: Yeah.
1: And <laughs> you know, next thing you know, you're free for a layup. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> cool. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Tony. It was uh, interesting getting to hear about your Lakers stop. And, um, Best of luck with the uh, bucks broadcast this year, and uh, good luck with everything else
1: all right man hey thanks uh for having me on I appreciate it.